Um, today's teaching text comes from Isaiah 9, 2 through 6, and Colossians 1, 19 through 23. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as, one on, the, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, tramping warrior in battle to molt, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, twenty and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. And truly our calendars surround uh, this birth, and as we move into Advent, we wait, we listen, we slow down, and we anticipate. And I hope wherever you find yourself in in your headspace in this season, I, I hope that the next four weeks would be hopeful and inspiring to you. Um, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. And so, uh, welcome. Really glad that you guys are all here today. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. My name is Russell, and I'm the pastor here at uh, Reunion. And if we haven't had the chance to meet, so glad that you are uh, here today. And I know that some of you are online, too. And so, um, glad you got some time to spend with your family, and um, glad you're here. Let's pray as we look at this Isaiah 9 passage together today, and uh, do something a little bit different this morning, too. So, let's pray. And so, Father, uh, would you meet us here? Uh, We live in a time of anxiety and fear and speed and consumerism, and uh, we want to slow down. We want to find peace. Um, We want to be reminded today that you're good, that you're not an anxious God. Um, We want to be reminded today that you are a God that's fully in control. You know us, you love us, you have a plan for us. And so, God, would you meet us here? And I just pray right now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so on your handout, there's actually an image. Uh, It's a painting. It's called, uh, we'll kind of look at it for a few minutes here. This painting is called The Census at Bethlehem. And this was painted by a 16th century Dutch Renaissance painter named Peter Bruegel. And this was painted in 1566. Uh, I don't know about you, but at first glance, I get the Where's Waldo vibes uh, on it. And so, um, and if you're online, you can Google this, the census at Bethlehem. Um, But right at the bottom, if you look in the center at the bottom, just off to the right, you see a donkey and a woman riding that donkey. Um, That's Joseph and Mary. And they're making their way to that barn there where there's a crowd, um, which is to mean the place of registration. This is a Uh, after Luke chapter 2, right? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And so what you have in this picture is the origins of the Christmas story um, right before Jesus is born. But maybe one of the first things that you notice is that this is clearly not Bethlehem, right? Like, it doesn't snow. I don't think it snows on the West Bank, right? Um, It's too modern. And what... um, 
what uh, this man, Peter Bruegel, has actually done, um, and people have done this throughout the centuries, is they've transposed a biblical story into their own context as, as a way of visualizing this. And, which is funny because I was reading about this painting, and in the 16th century is when um, iconography just took off. Religious iconography was everything. You get the gold, you get the you know, shrines around the saints' heads. And so this was a, a, a big break um, in terms of artistic ability of, of what you might think of in this time. But Peter Bruegel's attempt is to put the biblical text into this Dutch context. And so, um, maybe some of the other things that you see when you look at it, um, you have a ton of overlapping scenes. Uh, over on the left, you have the crowd huddled to be registered. Um, if you, if you, this is a big painting, by the way, so if you were to look a little bit closer at it, um, you, you might see um, money be, um, changing hands. Uh, you see animals being cut open for the feast. Uh, in the upper left, there are uh, people moving. Uh, they're dragging things, uh, working as they drag things across the pond. Um, there are carts loaded with um, grain and uh, people huddled around the fire. Uh, if you look close enough on the right, you can actually see children spinning tops on top of the ice. And one of the things that really um, took me about this painting this week is very few of the figures are uh, standing vertical in, in the picture. Most people are bent in a direction. And one of the things that struck me about this is that this painting is marked by movement. That's, that's what you see. You see movement. You see harvesting and pruning and taking the cattle for winter. And you look close enough, you see them at the holiday market at Union Square and the impending finals for school and wrapping up projects for work and cramming in drinks with a few more friends before the end of the year. Lights and wreaths and presents and a rush, right? You see the rush to get to Christmas. Everyone in this photo is driven by the day-to-day minutiae that a miracle is being played out and they're missing it. The miracle, this Jesus, this baby is to be born, and no one stops to anticipate his arrival. And here we are, November 2021, slowly escaping us. Time is speeding up very quickly to December 25th. Uh, I was at the grocery store yesterday, and they had this terrible um, fake snow painted all over the window, and then they carved out 2022 in it. And I was like, no, do not do that to us, right? Don't bring it too quickly. And historically, um, the church hasn't used this season um, to speed up, but the church has used this uh, season to slow down. Uh, Emily said that Advent, right, it comes from the Latin Adventus, to, um, to wait to, for a coming, for an arrival. Now, Christmas is coming. It's a celebration about uh, the incarnation that God did not want to be distant, but he actually understands what it's like to be human because he put on human flesh. And so the Sundays leading up to Christmas are about waiting, about being present, about resting. And what's really cool about Advent that doesn't get talked about enough, it's actually a twofold waiting. There's actually two aspects to this idea of waiting. And one is that we're waiting um, uh, like the ancient Israelite people. They were waiting for a Messiah, someone to come and to save them from their sins. And we mirror their posture at Advent, right? Um, Jesus has come. We believe that he has come, and so we mirror that posture. But also at Advent, we're reminded that the church lives in a perpetual Advent, meaning we're waiting and longing for Jesus to come again and to make all things new. And so Jesus has come, that's the Christian belief, and Jesus is coming. Uh, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, um, that we live in a not yet and already kingdom. 
right? And so part of that is that Jesus came. We've been walking slowly through the book of Mark as a way of saying, what was Jesus like when he was on earth? He came. He lived. History has uh, proved that. He lived a perfect uh, life, died a perfect death. He rose triumphantly from the grave. He was sinless, and he lived. He was, he was, uh, he was bringing about elements of his kingdom, justice, hope, and healing, right? But then we have questions about that, right? Because we don't live in a world full of hope and justice and healing. And so Advent actually really allows us to ask the hard questions, right? We wait in the midst of the, the, the depth of the heart, the, the weight of the, the world, and yet we long for a kingdom that's to come to make all things new. And Advent is really beautiful at this because we actually can acknowledge the dissonance between our world and the God we believe to be good. One of my perpetual questions um, of my own life um, and just my own journeying um, spiritually is, God, are you there? God, do you care? Like, that's, that's like this phrase that, that rings uh, into my life regularly. God, are you there? Do you care? Like, God, I'm lonely. Like, why is this? Like, I have a kid. Like, who's lonely that has a kid? They're always around. They're always bugging you, right? God, are you there? Do you care? What about the division we see in our world or the racism or, uh, you know, Emily mentioned um, the losses that we experience. God, are you there? Do you care? And maybe, maybe even it's not, so, so um, deep like that. But what about like, you're like, God, I'm just seeking direction on, on how to, to live my life. Should I take the new job? Should I move to the new city? Or what about when you're just bored with life? God, are you there? Do you care? Um, the psalmist in Psalm 13, I think it's David, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The brilliance of Advent is these are the Advent questions, and we wait for Christmas as the answer. That Jesus didn't want to be distant, but he wanted to be close. Uh, Fleming Rutledge is an um, Episcopal priest, and uh, she tells this story about a funeral um, that uh, made the world news. It was in Belgium, and uh, it was a terrible situation. A, a woman was uh, literally starved to death in this, in this dungeon by this man. And uh, during the funeral, the, the priest uh, stood up, and he acknowledged uh, the passionate prayers of the people that had been praying for this woman to be found safe. And he, he stood up trembling, and he just said with a fierce anger, Is the good Lord deaf? Is God deaf? And so Advent allows us to sit in that, that, the weight of that, right? To acknowledge that there's something wrong with this world. And I know here you're thinking, like, here comes the pastor again talking about sin and death and darkness, right? But I think if we don't acknowledge this, then Christmas ceases to be a celebration, right? And we want Christmas to be a celebration, so we actually have to evaluate how, how, what is my framework for how the world got the way that it is? And so Advent allows us to take off the rose-colored glasses in which we see the world and we can see it for what it is, sinful and fallen and broken. And we can anticipate the emphatic answer to God, are you there and do you care, is, is yes. Yes, I care. Why? Because I inserted myself into human history and I'm, I'm willing to be a part of it. And so this is going to be the four Sundays of Advent. Today we'll talk about peace. Next week we'll talk about um, love and then hope and then um, joy. And just out of curiosity, by a raise of hands, who have, uh, who's been a part of a church that's followed a, a liturgical calendar or celebrated Advent before? Okay? Okay. So a handful of you. 
Um, ironically enough, I was, I was prepping for this week and um, at Advent, we're posturing ourselves, waiting and anticipating uh, the birth of a son, and I'm actually doing the exact same thing right now. Um, so maybe like eight, nine days away from the birth of a son, and so Advent has um, been this very personal um, thing for me, a season of waiting and expectation and suspense and preparation. I'm asking questions like, will I ever sleep again? Um, do we have the essentials, right? Clothes, diapers, um, is his room set up? I guess it's not really a room. Is a, he, um, I, he's got a closet, all right? We live in Manhattan, so. But I'm, I'm anticipating, and I feel like in some ways what that, what that requires of us is we come into Advent differently. Some of us, that comes really naturally to, to do, to say, yes, I'm aware of the darkness and I cannot wait for that. But see, some of us in our posturing say, I'm skipping all that and I'm only going to celebrate Christmas. And I think that's to our detriment to say, Christmas is here. Like, I, I know I've, I've, I've kind of have that, like, okay, we're setting up the tree, everything is bright and merry and holly. But one of the, one of the beauties of this is that we, um, what, Christmas becomes beautiful when we wait. Christmas becomes beautiful when we wait. I heard a, a friend told me this week that uh, his family actually would wait all the way until Christmas morning to set the tree up. And I'm like, I'm not going that far, all right? But it's a way of building anticipation. And that's what this passage is. Isaiah chapter 9 is a birth announcement, right? It's something you hang on the fridge. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And I love the way that verse 6 just says, Here, here's, here's what this is about. This is for you, right? For to us. It's not like, hey, here's this news. He's saying, no, this is actually about you. It's, it's of course about Jesus, but this is to your benefit. Like, this is a gift to you. And then it says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. And I thought, this should have been the 2020, like, memory verse. I don't know if you've ever memorized scripture before, but this should have been the memory verse. Maybe 2024, this is going to be our memory verse as a church, all right? That we could say, the government will be upon this person's shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, right? That's the, the, the Christmas message that we wait to hear, but even Isaiah, even Isaiah is acknowledging it's, it's not all rainbows, right? Look at verse 2, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone darkness, gloom, and we look into the future and anticipate. Uh, I, um, I generally wake up on Sunday mornings at 5 a.m., and I'm not saying this to be virtuous in any way. I struggle to get up every other day of the week. And so um, my wife laughs, and I'm sure she's thinking amen in her head. There's something peaceful about being up before everyone else. There's something um, that you wait for when the sun is peeking out. And so even this morning, I was thinking about this, and our office where, that I was in was really dark outside. And you can just slowly see the, the sky change from black to, to a little bit bluer, a little bit bluer, lighter blue. And then the sun peeks over, and you can just feel this warmth. Right? This is why they call it golden hour. But you and I appreciate the light because we understand that it's dark. There's a, a creed in the Reformation. It's... Um, post-tenebras lux, which means after darkness comes light, right? And so uh, even in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish day begins at sundown, and then you anticipate um, the light. 
And what I'm struck by in this passage, if you, if you read the whole thing over again, it doesn't tell you to do anything. It doesn't ask you anything. It says it's for you, but it's not. Um, maybe I should just say it this way. It's pure gospel. It's just an announcement about what God is doing and what God has done. And here's who he is. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And that's where I want to spend uh, the rest of our time today, really honed in on this word peace. And when we think about peace, um, let's try to think about it um, in a twofold manner today. We won't deal with them evenly, um, but let's think about peace internally, right? It's what we sit here and think through and ruminate over. Like, how do I get a, how do I feel a sense of peace within me? So we'll think inner peace, and then we'll think um, peace externally just for a few minutes, thinking about the idea of, of peacemaking and the ability the church has to posture itself as a, a peacemaking entity in our time. And so uh, the word peace, of course, in the Old Testament comes from the Hebrew shalom, um, it means uh, contentment. It actually, we should probably broaden our definition of shalom in this way. It means wholeness, health, uh, perfection. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, it's used really interesting. There's a couple passages in the Old Testament that are about um, the building of, uh, I can't remember what's being structured, uh, but the word peace is actually used to say that um, there are bricks that are missing, and when the bricks come into the building to uh, complete or finish the building, um, it is shalom. It is whole or it is together. There's a building being constructed across the street from our apartment. And uh, when we moved in, they had just torn it down, so there was nothing there. Of course, there's like always something going on. Um, but they started building. And three stories. And I'm like, cool, they're almost done. Six stories. I'm like, what are they building? Ten stories. Because it was just like a five-story building before. I'm like, they're ten stories up. And so we Google, like, how big is this thing going to be? And sure enough, online, it says it's going to be 20 stories tall. And I've been watching it. It's this concrete building being built. And what blows me away about this, I can't imagine how heavy this building is. On uh, floors like three through 10, there are these, um, these joists. There's like 30 of them on each floor. And I'm like, are those really necessary? Because it's kind of scary thinking about this building being so heavy. And so they put these joists on um, these floors, three through 10, and, and they're just filling up this room. And I look at that building and I think, well, it's definitely not whole or complete, and it's not going to be until all those joists are removed, until the innards are, are fixed and filled out, until the walls come on. And this is the idea that Shalom is trying to, to bring, is that it's, it's being made into completeness or being restored. And I want to submit to you that both internal and external peace are rare in our time. They're rare, but they are necessary, right? Ours, our age has been dawned the age of anxiety. We live in a moment where it's just tense, right? The political, relational, religious, racial, it's just tense. And, and the thing is, is we actually um, need to acknowledge in the midst of our own inner peace is that we have opinions about those things. And those are good things to have. Like we have ideas about how to bring um, flourishing to our world in terms of peace. But also, we live with an inner tension, right? Where we would say, I just, I lack like an internal settledness, right? I, I lack this idea of wholeness. I know that I'm not whole. I lack a sustainability. I lack the ability to say I'm safe, right? You're like, I'm missing walls. I have joists propping me up because peace feels so rare. But peace that the Bible is talking about is not the absence of tension, 
right? I think that's a misnomer about peace. Um, I was reading about uh, this week uh, a little history behind um, Jesus' entrance in Luke chapter 2. And one of the things I find really um, inspiring, I never really even thought about this before. I didn't pay very good attention in fifth grade social studies. But I don't know if you remember um, the years of Roman peace, the Pax Romana, 200 years of relative peace, economic flourishing. And what really, what really struck me is that Jesus came in the midst of the Pax Romana. And the fascinating thing about this is for the Romans, and this is Jesus is, is, is saying, I'm establishing a kingdom, and the Romans are saying, I'm establishing a kingdom, right? These two things are happening simultaneously in the midst of what? Pax Romana. Well, what did it mean for the Romans? For the Romans, peace simply meant there's no war. That's what peace meant to the Romans. But for Jesus, Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, no, 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 no. Peace is different. Peace isn't the absence of something, but it's the presence of another thing. And I think this is so key to understand about peace in our time because I know we, we want to go to eradicating and getting rid of things in our life that cause us peace. But Jesus is saying peace doesn't just come from getting rid of those things. It comes from the presence of something else. And the brilliance of Jesus is that it comes in the form of a baby. It comes through serving. It comes through weakness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has, both, has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And I just love the simplicity. Jesus, Jesus says, or Paul says of, of Jesus, he himself is our peace. And so one of the, the deformations in our inner peace is that we often seek out peace where, if I'm frank, it just can't be found. We, we go to things and say, we don't even say it out loud, but we say, would you give me peace? And we can't find it there, right? It's like a, it's, like a, uh, it's supplemental to our peace, but it's not the thing that's going to ultimately um, make us whole, right? And so in this way, peace is sort of apologetic. Um, one of the things I, I personally have been doing um, in this season, I'm, I'm rushing towards Christmas, and I think uh, one of the ways we find peace, and uh, maybe it's not ironic to some of you, is that I think we've commodified it. Like, we think that we can purchase peace. I was uh, reading a Bloomberg article this week about how Americans should live more like Europeans. And the article opens like this. It says, It's become the conventional wisdom that the U.S. economy is built on Americans' endless appetite to buy lots and lots of stuff. Household consumption makes up 67% of the GDP, the gross domestic product. When the economy falters, we're told spending is our patriotic duty, but suddenly Americans can't spend like they used to. Store shelves are emptying, and it can take months to find a car, a refrigerator, or a sofa. And if this continues, we may need to learn to do without, and horrors live like the Europeans, right? We've entered an age of overabundance. And one of the crazy things that the article does so well is it compares um, like the 80s to now. And so in 1980, the, um, the average square footage of a home was 1,700 square feet, and now it's 2,000 square feet. Um, clothing purchases have increased fivefold since 1980. And then get this, the average garment will only be worn seven times before it's disposed of. What have we done? We've commodified peace. We've, we've said, hey, I think I can buy my way to peace with stuff right? Western material affluence coupled with like two-thirds world poverty is like normal to us. It's crazy. 
um, cheap, useless consumer goods, normal. Dedicating your life to economic growth, normal. And hear me well, like I, I got my Christmas list, all right? I'm not going to lie. I got a couple jackets on there that I'm, I'm, I'm really eyeing. And I, word to the back, I hope that they're there, all right? And so I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm immune to this, but one of the things, this is, this is symptomatic, right, of the inner peace. That's what I'm trying to show you here is that I'm recognizing in my own spiritual journey the coping mechanisms that I have for seeking peace. I think that I can buy peace. I think that I can run far enough to get peace, right? If I could just get rid of my anxiety, I would have peace. If I could just get rid of my past and my trauma, I would feel whole and have peace. But um, we're missing it, right? Ephesians 2, 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility, right? And I think for, for some of us, we just need to acknowledge, acknowledge like, I just, I, I don't, I've had an unsettledness for a long time, and I have coping me- mechanisms, right? Instagram, escaping to the next social gatherings, hiding at home, whatever it may be, the, the, um, maybe what we should even honor in that is that the journey is there, right? The journey, you, you, the desire is there for you to find wholeness. And then what you need to hear on the back end is like, Jesus is saying, I am your peace. I love how C.S. Lewis said it. He said, God cannot give happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing, right? And some of you should be arguing with me right now in your head, actually. You, you should be because you, you, should, you should be saying, well, you know what? Like, you, you don't know what I've been through. Like, if, if, if that thing hadn't happened to me, I would be at peace. You should be arguing with me in that sense. It should be um, a wrestling that we have. But what I would respond to you and say is that this is not something um, that's natural. This is supernatural. Th- th- this peace that's being described here is a supernatural thing that, that comes um, in a way of understanding the person of Jesus in his own deep settledness and the work that he's done. That Colossians uh, 1 passage is a, is a brilliant way uh, of thinking about that. And so that's the, the inner peace uh, side of things. And I quickly want to um, mention this idea of peacemaking. Um, and I wanted to talk about inner peace first because the truth is, is you and I cannot give what we do not have uh, in us. Then we're probably not going to be very good at peacemaking. Right, if like if 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 this is all intention, we really are are a mess here. It's going to be very difficult for us to be in relationships where peacemaking is natural to us. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter twelve, it's just really simple. I, I love some of these verses because um, I I needed sort of a framework, a really simple way of understanding um, this idea. He just says this in Romans twelve: If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I'm like, okay, like there, there it is, right? Christians are supposed to be people of peace. But what does it mean then to be a peacemaker? What does it look like? And I just want to say two quick practical things. And the first one is this. We have to take the time to examine ourselves. And I think that Advent is a really beautiful time to actually posture ourselves in a form of, uh, of self-examination, of our own brokenness, of our own, the ways that we fall short of our own standards. But I love the verse. If possible, so far as it depends on you. So far as it depends on you, I was like, you can only control you. Like, this is the news flash today, right? You and I can only control ourselves. I was thinking about the ways that 
we should examine ourselves. And um, the truth is, is I like to be around people that remind me of me. Like, I like to be around people that agree with me on, on pretty much everything, that don't push back on the things um, that I say, that have a similar background, a similar cultural come from. It's just more natural, right? I feel like the, I can be myself in that way. It's like um, we never graduated from fifth grade, you know, where we, we sit with the same people that are just like us uh, at lunch and inability to see outside of ourselves. But I do think um, even if we're comfortable there, there is, um, this is a great obstacle, to, to seeking and to being peacemakers, this inability to see outside of ourselves, um, to listen to people from different backgrounds, from different faiths, from different ethnicities. We lose this ability to listen. And so I think that's a, a, a worthy challenge in this season to examine ourselves. Who am I in relationship with? Who's welcome at my table? What are the things that in, in conversation that are just non-negotiables for me that I'll die on that hill? It's like I think about um, like closed fist issues and open-handed issues and the, the ways in which um, we really need to actually define these things so we can actually enter into conversations with people and not crush them with the weight of our expectations because these things are the non-negotiables. One more thing. I think that in a time that's as contentious as ours, um, we, need to, we need to reframe conflict right? A peacemaker, that doesn't mean you have no conflict in your life. Like, welcome to 2020, 2021, right? Like, this is, this is our world. This is, there's no going back, all right? But what if we reframe conflict? What if conflict isn't a problem, but it's an opportunity to transform um, our lives, to humble ourselves, and it's a chance um, to learn, um, and just uh, at, the, at the turn of the new year, we're going to be getting into Mark chapter 3, and I was reading the passage this week just to anticipate and think about what's ahead, and I'm blown away by the disciples, right? Like this ragtag bunch of people. You have Simon the Zealot, this religious elite person, a disciple of Jesus, and you have Matthew the tax collector, like representing the Romans. How'd you like to be at that table, right? And some of you are like, I'm going back home for Christmas, like I'm going to sit with my family, I know what that's like. But this is, I'm sure it's awkward, right? But they worked it out. And the, beauty, the beautiful thing about the disciples is not only did they work it out, they changed the world. And so we have to reframe um, the ways in which we view conflict. And I think that means for some of us, that means setting boundaries and saying, you know what, I am not going to talk about that tonight or this week, but I am going to push in at a time where I have a, a more inner, inner settledness. And so what I presented to you today I hope what you look at it and you say, I want that. Like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a community that's peaceful. I want to be a part of a group of people that has a peace about themselves. And so I want to show you um, this. And if you've never read um, scriptures before or um, you, you've struggled to read the scriptures or it's been a while, um, we have created, and, and by we, we have some brilliant people in our community that have put together this Advent guide, and the readings actually start today. Carissa, Carissa helped design this. She did a wonderful job. It looks absolutely gorgeous. And so um, Carissa and Joseph and Holly and um, Christine and Bree, thank you guys so much for um, contributing. Um, this is for us as a community, um, a, a way of participation. Um, and I, I want to say this before I say anything else about this. 
this is a way, um, this is not a to-do list, right? This is not, I'm going to check off my daily reading. This is a way of being and having peace. This is a way of being connected with the person of Jesus. And so uh, the instructions uh, are in here for uh, the day, but also basically what you do is you open up to this week. There's the, the full instructions are there, and then there's some, um, there's some meditations in there. But when you open up to the first week, um, the, the aspects of it except the reading for the day are the same for the whole week. And then there's a reading for that day. And so we're going to surrender to the presence of God. There um, is instructions about pausing and stilling yourself. We're going to be listening to the scriptures. You're going to read them. Uh, I found this helpful as of late to actually listen to them instead of reading them. And so you can play them on your phone. Sometimes I have to throw my phone in the other room and I do stuff like this so, so I don't get distracted. And then a chance to meditate on the scriptures and then respond in prayer. And really what this is is... Um, this is a guide to help you connect with God, and it can take five minutes. It could take 30 minutes. I don't know if you can make it last longer. I'm sure some of you can. And so we're not looking to accomplish anything, but we're looking for peace. We're looking for hope. We're looking for love. We're looking for joy, and we believe that God can actually meet us there when we carve out and make space for him. One more thing I want to say about that. If you get behind, I know I, sometimes when you get behind, you're like, I give up. Don't give up. Just double up on a, on a day or just skip and catch up to where you are in the day. I know I get behind. It's no problem. Be kind to yourself in that. But that's going to be a, a gift to us. We'll be putting out um, on our social media some, um, some reflections on that as well. And we would love uh, to invite you to create space in your life uh, to do that. So let me pray, um, and then uh, we'll take communion together. And so Jesus, um, if I could just say for myself, I, I recognize in my preparation this week that I am lost without you. I need your peace so I can be peaceful. I need your love so that I can care for those around me. I need your hope so that I can have something to anticipate and hope for. And I need your joy because sarcasm and cynicism are my first language. And so I pray, God, that um, as we gather today, um, as we um, think about this season that may even feel dark, cold. I pray that it would anticipate um, and prep us for the light that you bring through your son Jesus at Christmas. We are here because of your son. Uh, this is all about you, and um, we want to know you. We want to know your hope, and we want to know what life looks like in you. And so um, I just pray um, for us. I pray for those nagging reminders from you that um, the ways we're seeking peace and we need you. I pray for nagging reminders to, um, to come to your uh, scriptures, to be reminded of who you are and the ways that you are at work in our community. And so, God, I love you and we um, give you this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen.